Paul's was a status-conscious culture, and the letter to the church in Corinth is rife with the language of status disputes. Boasting, shame, boldness, humility, power, weakness, commendation, confidence. Since with status comes authority. Jouet M. Bassler, Women's Bible Commentary. Navigating spirit who draws me into faith's adventure from the first small yes. When you boarded the boat of my life and I found yours were the sea and the waves. Settle me when storms overwhelm me and I feel alone. Let me know your presence with me. Let me know your peace. Tess Ward, the Celtic Wheel of the Year. May I never grow tired of starting over or helping others do the same. My hope is always in renewal and resurrection. Justin McRoberts and Scott Erickson. Prayer, 40 Days of Practice. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Have you ever had one of those mornings where when you wake up, you think, if I could just stay in bed just a little bit longer, you know, maybe it's one of those, it's so much warmer in here than it is when I get out of the covers, or your alarm hasn't quite gone off yet, so you know you can sneak in a few more minutes of rest. When I think back to a time like this for myself, it was a holiday weekend, holiday Monday, so I'd had some rest already, but when I woke up that morning, my first thought was, I don't want to do today. I just want to stay in bed. And maybe you can relate to that sort of feeling. Um, at this point, it was a holiday, like I said, and I also had come out of a season of starting to investigate going to counseling. I was taking medication to deal with anxiety for the first time in my life and I was joining a church group to help uh, talk about past wounds, to try and deal with some of like the root of my anxiety. And I just remember lying there and in my thought, it was talking to God. I don't even know if I would have said it was a prayer at that moment. It was just a thought to God where I said, but aren't I doing all the things to be healthy? Aren't I doing all the things to be healthy? And in like a split second, the like return answer that I felt was, yeah, but you haven't asked for time off work. <laughs> I legit laughed at God. <laughs> like, what do you mean take time off work? Um, there was this fear in me that was like, I don't want people to know that I don't have it all together, that I need to ask for time off work. That seems not okay. It was really risky, it was scary. I was fortunate to work in a space where I could take time off work once I said, hey, here's what's going on. And when I think back to this line uh, from scripture, from David, he talks about this idea of the joy of his salvation. 
And for me, I've often thought that it's actually like the peace of my salvation. Let's read that passage together from Psalm 51, where David says, return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways and sinners will come back to you. I love this joy of salvation and why. Why do I want to be returned to wholeness, returned to joy, or for me, returned to peace? It's for myself, but it's also because we want to be able to share Jesus with other people. So yeah, I unplugged. I took off what I thought would be a month from work, but ended up being several months. And I returned better than I had been before. Um, but you'll remember the last couple of weeks, uh, if you've been watching on the live stream or listening to our podcast, depending where you are in the rhythm um, of teaching in your location, Chris shared in week one about our friend Peter in scripture and how he embodies taking these big risks, but then also experiencing great big joy with Jesus. Uh, his risks are sometimes errors, <laughs> right? But he takes risks and then he experiences joy. And then Laura shared last week that this truth of that Jesus is with us always and our hard times, in fact, teach us things about ourselves and about God. And my story doesn't just, you know, end there. I took time off work and everything was fine. And just like Chris and Laura shared, we hit something called a wall and it doesn't often just happen once. It can happen more than once in our lifetime. It might be circumstantial. It might be something to do with our faith. But I think the wall does three things. First of all, as Chris and Laura shared, you know, we run into it. We're running into the wall. And that's something that's going to happen repeatedly over our lives. And then we have this tendency that we want to go back to the things we knew. We heard that in the last two weeks as well, that retreating from it is common. We're running into it, then we're retreating from the wall because we wanna go back to what's comfortable, what we've known. Even if it's not worked or even if it's been hard, the what we've known is sometimes more comfortable than moving into the risk of what's unknown. But as we heard the last couple of weeks, the wall is something that we can move through and then we are refined through it. You can see those three points. We run into the wall often repeatedly throughout our lives. Our tendency is to go somewhere comfortable, which might mean we re retreat from it, but that we are refined through it if we are willing to go through the hardship with Jesus by our side. There's this um, camp song that I often think of and it's going on a bear hunt. And I'm not scared, we're gonna catch a big one. And then you come across different obstacles as you go on this hunt in this song. And you think, oh my goodness, there's this giant forest. I don't wanna go through it. You know, there's other, what's the other options? Can I go around it? Can I go over it? Can I go under it? And then it says, no, you have to go through it. And then being refined through our hardship helps us to identify with Jesus and then gives us what I just repeated earlier, this ability and this hopefully this desire to then want to share it with other people. So like I said, this wall is not a one-time thing. And I would say that that's, you know, part of my story as well. You know, a few years after taking this leave from work, thought with along with my family doctor, hey, let's see if going off medication might be something that is helpful 
or is it okay to do at this time? And thankfully, yeah, I had the support of my family doctor. So this is not like a suggestion of how to do medical care. So connect with your doctor. But it was interesting because during the time that I was seeing if I could change my medication, uh, two very close people in my life, those who I probably pretend less with, who I'm my most self with, they said, like, why are you struggling? Like, you're not doing okay. It's almost like they were echoing Jesus when he's talking to people in the Gospels that he encounters who are sick and need healing. And he's like, what do you actually want? What do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? Do you even want to get well? It's almost like these close people in my life were echoing Jesus saying, you know, why are you struggling? You know that this medication supports you and helps you. It was like this this confrontation, again, of like, but I want people to think I have it all together. And it was like this risk to face and admit what I really needed. You know, what's the thing that you're maybe being called to risk or remove or release? Risk can be scary, but thankfully, we don't risk things alone. I hope that's what you're going to hear as we're going through our passage together today. I want to just set some definitions, actually, before we even get into our scripture passage. So what do I mean by risk? Um, We can often think of risk as something big and grand, but it might also be something small and internal that only you're aware of and God's aware of. But like risk, we often identify it as a possibility of loss connected to risk. You know, it could be a a loss of reputation or status or a loss of uh, relationship loss of the things you always thought you knew. And I love this other, that, this other part of the definition is that risk is likely to turn out poorly or well in depending on the context and the circumstances. And I think when I, I don't know, maybe you can relate, risk often to me has a negative connotation, but risk may also end up well. And that's where it takes us to the next definition, the word joy. Because I mentioned earlier how Peter, and I think we too, we risk, but then sometimes that risk does lead to joy. And when I talk about joy, I'm saying we experience great delight. Um, It's something that's deep in us. And interestingly, the Greek word for joy that's used in scripture when we're in the Newer Testament is from the same root word as grace. And it's so beautiful because it sort of says like joy has to be rooted in God's grace. It's not necessarily something that comes from human happiness or something that I manufacture. Joy is deeply seated in me, regardless of my circumstances, because of God's good grace. So let's keep those definitions in mind as I keep um, journeying through this with you as we jump into scripture. So we're going to hang out in the Newer Testament today, and we're going to hang out in one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church in Corinth. Laura actually spoke from the same um, letter, 2 Corinthians. And so you just head into the New Testament, flip over a bit to Paul's letters. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, Fun history of 2 Corinthians. It was possibly just one long letter that is kind of disjointed in different topics. Um, you'll, if you read through it, you see there's different things that Paul is writing about to the church. 
Um, but there's also some uh, scholars who say that it may have been written in separate smaller letters and sent at different times, but then now we have it as one thing together. Um, Paul is usually, I love this, writing in response to something specific that's happening in the church community. He's not just writing these letters like out of the blue. He is speaking to something that's happening at the time. Um, and he's always writing to a group of people. He's rarely writing to one person. He is writing to a whole church. And I think that's important for us as we explore these letters to remember that it's is about me, but it is so much more about us and what God is doing in us and through us. Uh, one of the questions that is likely being answered in this part that Paul is responding and sending to the, the church in Corinth, which is now modern day Greece, he's responding to something about, do you actually have the authority to teach us the gospel? Like, do you actually know what you're sharing? Because we've got other people coming around who are sharing what they say is, is the truth of God. And Paul is saying, here's why I have credentials. Here's why me and my fellow missionaries, why we have credentials. Uh, before we get into our section, he says earlier, he says like, we are not qualified by ourselves. We are qualified by God. And if you know anything about Paul's life, his qualifications come from a lot of suffering. His qualifications come from identifying with the suffering of Jesus. He is jailed, he's shipwrecked, he's stoned and survives. So some of this, this suffering is important. He's risking a lot. So anyways, let's jump in. So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 12 and onward. So I'm going to read from the Common English Bible. So since we have such a hope, we act with great confidence. We aren't like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites couldn't watch the end of what was fading away. But their minds were closed right up to the present day. The same veil remains when the old covenant is read. The veil is not removed because it is taken away by Christ. Even today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever someone turns back to the Lord, the veil is removed. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. All of us are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord as if we were looking in a mirror. We are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. This comes from the Lord who is spirit. Here's a couple uh, things I want to you know, draw out of there. Uh, depending on your translation, uh, this one that I read Fred from says that there, we have great confidence and Paul has great confidence and we can too because of who we are in Jesus. Um, your translation might use the word bold, that we can be bold when we go to God. I'm going to jump back in a minute to the part about Moses and why this matters. But there's an interesting piece here where he's Paul is alluding to stuff that happened in the Old Testament, saying that Moses put a veil over his face. And when you go back to the earlier part of this letter, he's talking about there being a lot of glory associated with Moses and what he experienced. Uh, in Exodus 33 and 34, you can turn back there if you want to. Um, but basically, it is in the Older Testament, after the Israelites have been freed 
from servitude in Egypt. And Moses has gone up to meet with God. He gets the laws for the Israelites. He comes back and then he leaves again. And, and during this time while he's been away, um, the Israelites start worshiping a false God. They're worshiping a cow, a golden cow. And God is really upset by this. It's like, I just freed you. And now you're worshiping somebody else, not me. And so when G Moses goes up to meet with God again, and he returns with a new set of laws, tweaked set of laws, let's put it that way, <laughs> to the Israelites, he comes back and his face is glowing after his 40 days hanging out with God on Mount Sinai. That's pretty remarkable. Like, I don't know how you would describe that or describe the fact that you've spent 40 days interacting with God. There's this beautiful quote from a book called How God Changes Your Brain. And the authors in that book say, words are not enough to describe a spiritual experience. Words are not enough to describe a spiritual experience. Moses's face is glowing because he's had this experience with God that is hard to describe. And the Israelites see this. They see that there is glory shining from his face. And what we read from uh, what Paul is saying is like, wow, if this shining glory that is on Moses' face existed from the law, those written things on a tablet, how much more so will you be glowing and glorious from the spirit that lives in you? He talks about in verse 14, he says, the veil is not removed because it is taken away by Christ. Even today, verse 15, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So when he says Moses is read, he's referring to the law. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, as opposed to saying like, I'm just going to follow all these rules, but not actually, you know, align myself with the Lord. I'm just going to follow these rules. Turn back to the Lord. The veil is removed and we get to show our glory. My, my memory goes to when I was living overseas, living in an intentional Christian and missions community, when young people would go on their overseas trip, so spend time in places like Papua New Guinea or Malaysia or Peru, and they would return. And it was almost as if, I remember being like, you look so different. Your face is glowing. Your face is shining. It's like they had seen God do remarkable things while they'd been on their overseas trip that they sometimes couldn't put into words, but you could see in their face that something had changed. How beautiful is that? And Paul is reminding us that how much more glorious and glowing and changed we might be with the spirit that lives in us as opposed to a rules that are written on tablets. So awesome. And he highlights this at the very end. <clears throat> As he says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom in verse 17, verse 18. And all of us are looking with unveiled faces. We don't have this veil anymore at the glory of the Lord. As if we are looking in a mirror or your translation might say, the glory of the Lord is reflected from our faces. We are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. And it comes from the Lord who is spirit. This freedom, I almost, you know, in my own circumstance would say, you know, reflects back to that idea of peace 
this returning to the peace of my salvation, or as King David wrote, the joy of his salvation. Like, what is that freedom peace that you experienced when you first encountered Jesus? And it's something that continues over time and continues to change you over time. Because God cares about our freedom. He does. He cares about our liberation. God cares about our liberation. And he also deeply cares about our loyalties. God cares that we are free in him to live fully and wholly. But he cares that we are free so we can point people to him, so our lives honor him. God cares deeply about our liberation and he also cares deeply about our loyalties. And we see that in the way Paul is hearkening back to the Older Testament by saying, yeah, I freed you, Israelites, from Egypt. You are free, you are liberated. But don't go back to worshiping idols. Be loyal to me and the way you follow me. And I love this idea, though, like that there's no law we read in another of Paul letter, Paul's letters. There's no law about the things when we follow the Spirit. It's the stuff that grows up inside of us, the fruit of the Spirit, those traits that shine out of us because of the things God has done in us. And that this new covenant, this new promise with God by His Spirit is more glorious. It's not fading. Moses was hiding his face as Paul writes here, because he was worried that the glory from the law was fading. But we don't have to worry about that. The Spirit lives in us. So we may have to take a risk when we hit this wall and instead of retreating from it, go through it. But the going through it piece is where the Spirit of God meets us. Will you do a bit of an imaginative uh, field trip with me? You're welcome to uh, close your eyes, sit in a comfortable position, depending what you're doing or where you are. But just, you know, be in a space where you can, um, yeah, imagine for a minute with me. Imagine for a minute that you are standing at a big body of water. And this big body of water, maybe it's an ocean, maybe it's a lake. And you see just wave after wave coming in to the shore. You can hear it, the repeating sound of the crashing waves. And you feel invited to get into this water, to walk into this water. You feel the waves first lapping up against your ankles. And as you walk in further, the waves crash up and are kind of hitting you in the leg, and maybe you're losing balance a little bit, and you're trying to find your footing. Can you feel the way they're pushing at you? So you're going to go in even further. You know, the water's getting higher and higher as you go in, and you're kind of having to, to brace yourself as you're walking. You know, look at the waves. How do they look? Where are your feet? What is your body posture like in this moment as you are standing in these crashing waves? 
As your gaze looks out, you realize Jesus is there with you in the waves. He's with you in the water. Move your gaze from the waves to Jesus. Is he maybe the anchor in this moment? What is Jesus inviting you to here in the waves? Is there something you need to risk? Something Jesus is asking you to let go of? Or asking you to hold on to? Jesus can be trusted in this space. God, thanks for the way you speak to each of us individually through our imagination that is sanctified through you. Now, I don't know what you experienced in that short imaginary field trip into the waves in the ocean. We, as a pastoral team, did this together a few months ago. We were taken through this imaginative exercise of being in the waves and Jesus being with us. And I remember it feeling like a kind of somber and serious time when we were all together. And I had to stop myself from laughing (laughs) because all I could see was Jesus in the waves, laughing and splashing around and saying to me, yeah, you know, it's kind of scary. It's kind of risky. It might be dangerous, but it's also really fun. (laughs) Come on. You know, we take calculated risks on a daily basis. Planes, trains, and automobiles applying to jobs or schools. You know, where might Jesus be right now inviting you to risk? Sure, it's a bit risky, but it's also fun. (laughs) What is that risk that could lead to joy? and turning out well. You know, the kingdom of God is kind of like, for me, putting down the heavy load of the world's expectations to pick up the cross and carry it with Jesus. And Paul is saying we can have great confidence when we go to God because of what we have in him. You know, so what are the things that you are doing in life right now that you could not do apart from the power of God? This glory that we know shines on us. And there's this list here, you know, like what am I doing? But I think I also just like Paul when I say, what are we doing? What are we being invited into in us, a collective? Maybe it's us as a broader church. Maybe it's you in your smaller, smaller context in your home church or your community. You know, we have the risk in community of being known. In this season, we are a much smaller church. I've had someone say, you know, we are just on a first name basis now. There's no hiding when I come on a Sunday. There's no really keeping to yourself. Is it the risk of vulnerability? You know, being known in a community? Could could that be what God is inviting you to? But oh, what joy could live on the other side of that. The joy of being known by others. 
is the other risk of being changed in community. Uh, when we're with others, we learn things about ourselves. In hardship, we learn things about ourselves. We've definitely learned things as a church community over this season. You know, we can risk being changed. And that, you know, we've hit a wall collectively and we might want to be comfortable and retreat from it. But the risk is that newness is uncomfortable, but being changed by God could also be really beautiful and full of joy, individually and corporately. And I think when I mentioned about the, the wall that we're re refined through it back at the beginning, Part of this being refined aspect is that we risk with God in community being useful for God's kingdom. Now, the risk in that is that it's not my own kingdom. It's necessarily the things that you may have tallied that you want to accomplish or you want to see happen, but that we can risk things together in community to be useful for God's kingdom. And I love how Paul in this illustration is saying that, you know, Moses experienced God and there was so much fullness and goodness in what Moses experienced. But friends, that there is an unfading glory that exists for us when in times of challenge or when we hit this wall, we invite the spirit of God with us, in us, around us in community to know us, to change us, and then to use us. And there is freedom in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wonderful Son and glorious Spirit, I thank you that apart from you, we can do nothing. And yeah, like, I can tell a story of my own life and now that I'm not in the middle of this or in the moment of hitting the wall, I can share from a place of saying, but it's good to risk. And so my friends who are listening, who are in this space right now, who are in that place of the wall and not necessarily wanting to risk, would you, God, be by your spirit just bringing about a sense of peace and freedom? supernaturally, and then also practically by the people that are around them and give them a willingness to uh, have eyes to see that risk could bring about joy. And Lord, as a whole community of believers where we are saying, God, where are you taking us? We've hit this wall and we want to keep doing things for your kingdom God, I invite you in my life and in our corporate life to see us, to change us, and to use us. That that would happen in me, that that would happen in us. Give us a courage to be willing to take a risk. Help us to see that risk can be joyful with you. And that from that, there's an unfading glory that exists in us. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who was and is and is to come. And everybody says, Amen.